0: Thanks for joining us on episode number 10 of our Machine Repeat podcast. Special shout out to all the folks who sent really nice notes and uh, just say how much they enjoy the podcast. To Thank you folks for taking the time to drop those notes and so glad to hear you're enjoying these conversations. I know it's been a ton of fun to put these out in a new format. Uh actually on the road this week recording we're filming an auction uh in Tarkio, Missouri tomorrow, as I record this tomorrow for our machine repeat TV show. Uh, always fun to come down to northwest Missouri. And before we hop into today's topic, First off, we need to thank our sponsors at Case IH. Visit your local Case IH dealer. Of course, they have uh, all kinds of new and improved solutions to help you be better on the farm. So stop in and uh, visit with them. And again, we want to thank them for their support. And one little feature we have on each episode is our tractor of the week and being that the auction in uh, tarkio missouri tomorrow has beautiful red tractors we're going to stay red this week and our tractor of the week is the international 986 pretty iconic model made back from 1976 to 1981. Uh, you can find the tractor specs on that model and all of the tractor models right on our machinerypeat.com website just click on tractor specs lots of good info there now, if we talk values on international 986s, actually the last seven years, the average auction price has held pretty steady. It's sort of been between $7,600 and $9,200. Pretty steady there. Now, so far this year, the highest 986 I've seen sold at auction was $18,000. That was back on February 23rd of 19. Consignment auction in Columbia City, Indiana. I'm good friends at Trader Real Estate and Auction. Had a really sharp one, a 76 model with 4,826 hours on it, so for 18,000 bucks. Again, that's the highest auction price so far this year. Lowest auction price this year, because we we do see clunkers out there, had one go as low as 2,500 this year. Now if we look if we widen our frame of reference uh the last uh 12 years the highest 986 I've seen sold at auction you might remember this folks if you watch our TV show We had one go for $23,000 back on August 15th of 2017 in Wabash, Indiana. And that sale was by uh, Noble Auction Service, which has since kind of closed its doors. But that was uh, the Peffley family, Uh, Peffley Auction for for years, kind of legends in the the auction business there in central Indiana. And they had a 76 model with only 1,103 hours on it. Second owner tractor. Amazing. If you want to watch it sell, just go to YouTube, folks. Type in Machinery Pete IHC 986, and you'll see it pop up. And again, that brought $23,000. Now, on our episode today, episode number 10, we got a very special conversation. This one's uh, pretty close to my heart. You know, I've been traveling 30 years, covering auctions all over the country and up into Canada. And I mean, I'm a small town guy. I grew up in Benson, Minnesota as you've probably heard me mention a few times, population about 3,300, Farming Town, West Central Minnesota. Um, and Benson's a vibrant, vibrant town, good employment base, just past the school bond issue. But you know, they travel around the country so often, small towns, uh, Main Street, you just see the pain in the vacant buildings. And, and we, we know the average age is creeping up in rural America. So it, it's kind of scary to think what could happen in 10, 20 years. Um, but our guest on today's episode is uh, Andrew McCrae. Of course, you know Andrew and love his work with the American Countryside, his radio program. He's been doing, I think, like 13 years now. And you see Andrew on U.S. Farm Report. Andrew's been traveling the country, telling the story of small town uh, farm life, farm folks, small town America. And he's just released a new book called Total Town Makeover, Rethinking Business, Community, and Home in Small-Town America. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, folks, I got this book and read it. You you should do yourself a favor. (laughs) Get this book. If you love your small town, your farming town, and you're worried about the future, it, it it can feel a little bit helpless at times. What can I do? I'm just one person. Well, there's a lot you can do. And Andrew in his travels has pulled together some of the best ideas and success stories. And so in our conversation today, uh, I prompted Andrew to share some of these stories. Great conversation. And we actually recorded it in the Pony Express Museum, right in St. Joe, Missouri, uh, close to Andrew's home here. And we, we were filming for our TV show and we just let it roll. So I hope you enjoy the conversation with Andrew McRae, host of American Countryside.
1: We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota.
0: We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We We farm farm millions millions of of acres across across North North America, America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built
1: by farmers for farmers. Case IH, rethink productivity.
0: Hey folks, Real treat here. Uh, I'm at the Pony Express Museum in St. Joe, Missouri with Andrew McCray with uh, American Countryside. Andrew, great to see you again. Yep, good to see you. Now, uh, Andrew, we gotta start at the beginning here. Your, your show, American Countryside, how long has that been out now? So,
1: been doing radio since 1996, and then we started television version of it in 2014. So yeah, it's been a few years now.
0: And you have a radio background yourself. Is that how you got into it?
1: I did, so I grew up on the family farm and still on the family farm. But when I was at the University of Missouri, I had an interest in radio, interned with the radio network there, got started, came up with the idea of the program and then just went from there.
0: And you are on how many stations carry your American countryside show?
1: So we're just under 100 stations daily and then we're on XM Satellite Radio every day as okay. well with, with that daily feature, American countryside.
0: Well, you're giving voice to rural America and telling stories, so on behalf of the, your audience, I want to thank you for what thank you've you. been doing. Um, now, tell us, you, you grew up, where was the family farm? Where so, is the family Sure,
1: my address is Maysville, which is Northwest Missouri. So I'm an hour, just over an hour, straight north of Kansas City. Okay, and how big a community is that? So Maysville itself is just over a thousand. King City is my school district. Um, I graduated with 24 in my class, okay. and it's about the same size. Uh, Gentry County is my county, and that has, we have 6,500 people in the entire county. Not a okay. single stoplight in Gentry County, so and, pretty rural.
0: And tell us about the, the mix of agriculture in the area. Well, certainly where I'm
1: at, agriculture is very important. We're in an area where we certainly have crop ground, but it's a mix of pasture and crop because we don't have that good fertile level farmland. So you got to have a mix of what you're going to
0: do. Well, Andrew, uh, as you've been traveling the country um, and you you go all over, not just the Midwest here, right?
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah.
0: And uh, small towns. Uh, I was was intrigued. You came out with a new book. We'll, We'll hold it up here. Total Town Makeover. Andrew, this, this is a, a very needed book, and I, I love uh, the idea for it. Tell us how it happened.
1: In some ways it happened by accident, because as I said, I've been to an American countryside now for 23 years. Right. Some of the stories we collect are stories often from small towns and people that live there, really some of the things that are doing well. Over time, people began to ask me as I was speaking, well, mm-hmm. what'd you tell that story about what happened to that small town or what that person did in their small town? And I began to realize, well, people are really gravitating these stories about, well, how did they do that? And how could I make that happen where I live? So I finally decided, well, let's put these together in a book where people can have them not only to read and hopefully it's interesting, but also have as a resource. So say, oh, I can do that. And that's what I'm finding people are saying, I really like that idea and I'm going to try to do that where I live.
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, like you traveling the country, uh, we were talking before and it just kind of hurts my heart. Go around the country and you see the main streets in rural communities. I grew up a little farming town of Benson, Minnesota, thirty-two hundred people. You hate to see small towns suffer, and uh, it's—I just love what you're doing here, trying to offer and bring forward ideas, things, practical things that will work. Now, with the book, and you know, what would you say to to people in small towns if they're, you know, I suppose realizing the—I won't say problem, but you have to realize where we're at first, right?
1: You do, because I find some communities that say, well, things aren't great, but they never move past that spot. And you would yeah. think, well, that should be simple, but sometimes it isn't. And it can start with just one person, but it's having that one person willing to come together or those group of small, small group of people to come right. together and say, okay, this is something we need to work to tackle and maybe start with a couple of goals, even one goal and say, let's start here and begin to turn this around. And then people begin to find momentum and say, wow, if we can do this, we can do something bigger. And so that's where it begins to start. Okay.
0: I was intrigued by your, your concept of vision. And it, uh, you know, I think storytelling is it's hugely important. I mean, you built your business on that. And we do a lot of that with, with our machine repeat business. But when it comes to the health of small towns, again, where do we start? Um, so talk about that a little, finding the vision uh, to start moving forward.
1: I think it begins with you realizing what's special about your town. I always tell, towns and the people live there. What makes you uniquely special? Because everybody says, well, it's a small town atmosphere. We right. all know each other. And that's good. Don't get me right. wrong. But what really makes you uniquely special? Because that's something that people really hold tightly to. And the other reason that's important is that it gives you your, your small town something to rally behind. But I never realized it until I got to the end of this book, when I had a young lady from New York City contact me who, would, who bought a building in my small town she wanted to do it for the place she grew up. And it made me realize, well, I I say my town's a thousand people. It's not really, it's the population of all the people who are still connected to it that maybe moved away, but they still have a heart for that town and they want to see it succeed. And when you begin to do that, you realize, wow, we do have a lot of resources of people that maybe want to give financially or maybe want to buy a building or whatever it is that begins to make you say, oh, well, we are bigger than we ever thought we were yes. because of all these connections
0: we've got. Yeah, I, I totally hear you there. I mean, I still take ownership. I consider myself Benson, Minnesota, that's where I grew up. It's a mm-hmm. piece of me, I always will be. Uh, in fact, now I'd be interested, so small town newspapers are really struggling right now as media consolidates, uh, kind of an epidemic almost. And I, I've kind of wondered with small town newspapers, it would be the same for communities, how do you, Pull in former residents. I mean, can you what are effective ways to do that? Through Facebook? How do you how do you do that?
1: You know, in my small town, that's what we've done is that we use Facebook to hopefully get the message out. I found that through the local school, they had a media department, business department. They were doing videos, marketing, promotion as part of a class anyway. I ended up, because I'm in journalism, so I wrote a script, but they shot the video for our hometown to tell the story of our town and mm. say, here's what we're doing. That was that. great because when we posted that video, it got shared Right. in my mind everywhere, right, at least people right. that cared about my community. And people resonated with seeing that small town. So yeah, social media now is a great way, but certainly your local newspapers are still telling that story. There are people that are miles and miles away. With my small town, we started an endowment, and interestingly, we have people that donate as far away as Washington State. Wow! And they receive the local newspaper. That's how they knew about
0: it. Now, the endowment factor—that was a key piece early in your book about, you know, again, what can we do concrete to help small towns? So, creating these endowments uh, with a vision to help to help our small town. Talk about that, how it got started, some of the successes you've seen out there.
1: To me, having an endowment or foundation of some sort in a small town is critical because I tell people that way you never have to start at zero. And what I mean by that is is you're gonna use the interest off the principal and this endowment. Sure. So we never touched that. And so let's say Sickling, Nebraska is an example I use in my book, now has grown to a two million dollar endowment, a town of 350. Uh, people. And we're in Nebraska. Is? So it's Shikley's about an hour southwest of Lincoln. Okay. Very small town, still has their school though. And they got busy telling their story 20, 25 years ago. So it's grown over time. I tell people they didn't have one big donor that gave them a million dollar check. It was very much grassroots, mm. really made this happen, telling their story. This year they gave away $95,000 this year. That's wow. just the interest. And they'll get, that number will continue to grow. Well, imagine what you can do with that amount of money in a small town mm. to do grants or things. And I also share with folks, let's say you have a, a grant you want to apply for. Well, it helps so much to be able to say, you know, we've already have $10,000 or $20,000 through our local endowment. I say, you're never starting at zero. You're right. always starting with something. Right. And that just helps lift people so much. It's right. not that heavy burden of, oh, we got to start from zero. Right. The, the old thermometer you see in the town square, you start how much yes. you raise? The, the thermometer's th- already halfway up there because right. you've got that endowment right. to help you start.
0: You know what you find, I, I heard echoes of this in your book, Andrew, that as humans, we, if there's a vision, you're pulling people on board and they have pride in their small towns, uh, ownership, but when you give a vision and like, almost like hop on the bandwagon, this is where we're going the next 20, 30, 40 years, you can be a part of this. That story, people buy into that.
1: They do. I tell people as well, you're gonna have people that don't see the vision. Mm-hmm. In fact, every, I will tell you every single interview I have done on this topic, someone at some point, usually off camera sure. or off off air, will say, well, it wasn't always this easy. Oh, we had to deal with these people. Yeah. So that's just gonna be there. You're right. gonna have people that say, oh, well, that's silly, why would you do that? But you still have that nucleus of people that see that and you begin to overcome that, the snowballs rolling. You know, Shickley, Nebraska has a great foundation, but there's still people that don't give to it. <laughs>
0: uh, don't you actually quote in the book, it, a percentage of in, in a group, all it takes is X number? So
1: it's you, it's research from the University of Quebec that said in order to effectively lead change in a group, you need the square root of the total number of the people in the group. So if you had a, a group of 100, if you had 10 people really committed to the change, right. they could help drive the change through. Now, it doesn't mean that all 100 are gonna buy in, right. but you could move the change. So I just use it as an example of, okay, small groups of people can make big things happen. Right.
0: So Shickley, Nebraska, they built that up to what, three million, you said?
1: Yeah, passing two on the way to three,
0: yeah. uh, Not not necessarily an isolated case. Other towns starting, you've seen other communities have success building these endowments?
1: They do, and sometimes it starts with a grassroots group that says, okay, we're gonna start this. But other times, I've seen it could be a farm family. Let's say it may be somebody that's retiring, and you see this through farm auctions, okay, I'm going to sell this and maybe I do have something to pass on to children or grandchildren, maybe I don't, but maybe I set aside a portion and that will be the nucleus for foundation. Or some will say, I have X number of dollars. If the community can match it, then, so if I had 100,000, if you can match it, now we have 200,000 or something like that. Uh, You see that happen in communities, some as well. So in my mind, farming communities and agriculture can play a great role in it because as we have this transfer of of wealth from one generation to the next, even if you're passing on in the next generation, which is important to do, perhaps you want to set aside some to help my local community because it helped me and I want to make sure that I have something there. My community now doesn't have a grocery store. but what could we have done to maybe help somebody get started to have a grocery store, have a doctor, right. have a town lawyer, right. because you need some of those things and you have to travel a long way to get them.
0: Uh, I remember an anecdote in your, your book, Andrew, you were talking about, a, I think it was a, uh, maybe your family, small town banker, or mm-hmm. some banker that talked about coming home for a funeral, and the banker was frustrated because two, three hours after the funeral, The relatives, the younger generation who who's not connected anymore would stop and cash in the CDs and out of town and the money's gone from the area. Um, So I think we can see with endowments, we can picture 95K you're giving away. So that could help, you know, help Mm -hmm. businesses and things like that. But uh, so if we get the structure of of the money going, beyond that, reasons for people, younger people to come back and live in rural. I mean, there's, there's the old, we've always heard, well, the kids that grew up in rural areas, they know the beauty of that, raising a family. They go away to metro areas, jobs, Mm -hmm. whatever. What can we do, what do we need to do to pull them back, but also other people to see the value in living in rural America? There are two things to
1: keep in mind. One, interestingly, for Minnesota, of Minnesota, Ben Winchester is an extension, he's just done research in this and says, it's very common in communities all across the U.S., small towns, that young people do leave and they may go off to college or take a job and so forth. But there is a noticeable migration back in the 30s and 40s, maybe mm-hmm. even 50s, because I went off and perhaps I got education, I started a job or whatever, but now maybe I have the resources and I, I want to come back home. So we certainly want students to stay maybe from the time they leave high sure. school. That's, that's great. But right. don't discount the ability to bring some of those back. So then the question is, is why do they come back? Today, high speed internet's very important because if I have that, I can do many jobs wherever I want to. So I can come back to the small town to do that. And then I go back to what I said earlier about what makes me uniquely special, or my town. Mm -hmm. Is there something that I want to come back to that I thought was, maybe it was a town festival. It was something that I have trouble finding somewhere else. And so that's a reason I come back to. The other thing to keep in mind too is, is, we have rivals from football and basketball days and so i still don't like that town or that town and that's fine but those towns working together to promote each other so maybe i don't have a fine restaurant in my town but you do and if i can promote you then maybe i have something in my town and whether the whether that person comes back to live in my town or yours we're still getting people back and that's really important because it's not gonna probably be a case where everybody goes to that one little town and not the other. Right. If you're working together, you tend to bring them back because you now have a variety of amenities
0: that are within short driving right. distance. And wouldn't you say over the past 50, 60 years, maybe that's been a little bit of a rural's problem is that we we tend to focus just on our own community. We maybe do. it's a piece of that It's it school is. basketball rivalry. We talk about town. that. It yeah. goes
1: back to a lot of those rivalries. They say, well, we don't wanna help them. We yeah. wanna just help us. And that begins hard, yeah. it's hard to do that because you're a small town, and how can you right. make that one happen? One
0: plus one can equal three.
1: You can, if, right. you, if you think about it regionally. And, and again, with technology now, you don't necessarily have to be in a huge place to right. be able to do your job, right. or just a lot of jobs.
0: So it's interesting, Andrew, you talk about, you know, asking at a base level a community, you know, what makes us special? As I travel around the country, you know, small rural towns, it almost seems to me like a, at a DNA level, we don't like to brag. It's like, we're, all, you know, that's not who we are. So is right. that difficult for, for individuals and communities to say we're special because, do you have to prompt them to? It is sometimes,
1: but it's interesting how it plays out. The example I use in the book is Falkton, South Dakota, and Falkton's maybe 2,000 people. Okay. They had a gentleman there that loved the carnival when he was young, but never got to ride because it was during the depression. I love this story. Yeah, he couldn't ride the carousel. He went and bought one in the late 80s, early 90s, brought it back to his hometown just to set up, just because he mm-hmm. wanted to do it, and then offered free rides. That town began to rally behind what well, we have this little carousel. Then they began to do a lot of art and murals. And now the grain elevator, the huge concrete silos, huge works of art on that grain elevator. That little town began to in itself put itself on the map because of a carousel. And right. if you go into town on the water tower, it's now named. Carousel City—that's their motto. On the water tower, and it's all because a guy brought a carousel to town, and he wasn't looking to brag; he just—he just wanted to do
0: it. He was into
1: it, yeah. So sometimes things play out that way, and so
0: now I got to stop here on the same thread. Uh huh. Tell the outhouse story.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) what town was that? Gays, Illinois, which is super small, under 200 people. Nancy Goodwin—they had a two-story outhouse, which. When people hear that, they say, oh, well, they just made that up (laughs) later on. No, it it dates over a century. They had an old apartment-style building and they had two outhouses stacked on top of one another because the people upstairs didn't wanna have to go all the way downstairs to use the outhouse. They thought that was novel and saved it. And she is now the keeper of the two-story outhouse. Her husband was, and then he passed away. She has a little box where people can stop by and if they want to write their name on a postcard, they put it in. If they do that, they don't know this is going to happen, but she yeah. goes every day and collects the postcards out of that box. And then she writes, sits down and writes them a handwritten note thanking them for coming to wow. visit the outhouse. And they have bus tours stop at the outhouse in
0: Gaze, Illinois, just because of that one link. So you're bringing in people dollars. They spend time. They sure. smile. Yeah. But, and, and I imagine a lot of it has to do with maybe her attitude, the way she is with people. It is. Uh, I was really interested a couple instances, actually, we're, we're filming this in St. Joe, Missouri, right at the Pony Express Museum. I think one of your examples was from St. Joe, a greeter at the Hy-Vee uh, grocery store. It's just up the road at Maryville. Yeah, and you're gonna be filming up there near Maryville in right,
1: Tarquio. Right. Uh, yeah, Fred Morris, Fred passed away just a, about a year ago, but Fred, he made it his job in a sense. He, he was not really the greeter, but that's what he took over as kind of his right. task. Right and he made sure to know everybody's name. He had foreign exchange students come in from Northwest Missouri State. He learned phrases in all their languages. Uh, People found out he played guitar and then he would go play at their funerals. He became kind of the representative of Maryville. A community asset. Yes, very much so. Just by being his friendly self. He would, and you know, when I would be speaking different places, I might tell his story. Invariably, somebody would come up at the end and say, I've never met that guy, but I know him because my granddaughter went to Maryville and she talked about this guy at Ivy, you know, that bought us breakfast or whatever.
0: So that can be a vital piece of making Maryville or fill in the blank, any of our small towns, special. What makes us special, it can be individual people, just being who you are. It can be, so take
1: whatever you're interested in and could you then grow that into something? And again, it's not bragging, it's just being who you are. And so now you take take on that role you individually might be the catalyst that helps make those things happen in your small town. Wow, I
0: love that. Um, So again, Andrew, the book came out, uh, was it this summer? Total Town Yeah. Okay, now people are interested in the book. How do they go? Where can they find it?
1: Probably the easiest way is just go to the American Countryside website. If you go to AmericanCountryside.com, there's a little tab at the top that says books. And not only said Total Town Makeover, but the other books that we've done, and most of and them are based on our stories.
0: How many other books do you have know? all?
1: So this will be the sixth book, and it's a variety of books, but this one is really focused on small towns and what small towns are doing to, in a sense, create a, create a makeover.
0: Well, folks, I tell you what, uh, do yourself a favor, get this book. Uh, it's got some great ideas, great stories, stories we can share. I, I think, Andrew, well, you're in the storytelling business. I think we can move the narrative through story. Uh, it's something we can latch onto. And uh, following up on the hy story, what was the guy's name, Fred? Fred, yeah, Fred, Fred. Morris. Yeah. Uh, the, don't you think small town, one of the things we can offer in a society, our culture is starved for connections? Ironically, we live in this world with you could have 50,000 Facebook friends, but it's nice to have a cup of coffee and you know just have someone smiling. And that's what our, our small towns can do. But then again, how do, we, how do we push that forward?
1: You certainly, after you do these types of things, if you're really wanting to get serious about this, a lot of these towns will have some sort of group come together and say, okay, let's identify one, two, or three goals right. or short-term goals, so forth. Then let's begin the process of, of beginning to make these things happen. Because that's how you go then to a town like Osage, Iowa was a good example. It's in the book of about 3,500 people, but has a truly world-class, I'm going to call it recreation center, but it has lap pools, lazy river, indoor gym. The lazy theater. river, I yes. read that, yeah. And they aren't that far from Mason City, but Osage has it. And one young lady that came back to that community told me, she said, one of the main reasons I'm here is because of that facility, because it's as good as anything I could find in the big wow. city. So if to get to that level now, you're probably talking about, okay, that's going to take some planning but maybe you've already begun to do some of right. this and, and build a rallying point. And now we say, okay, these groups can come together. Maybe we have an endowment, we can write right. the grant. Uh, and you know, one thing I don't talk about in this book is is our taxes, not because you couldn't use local tax, but I give you all the examples of, okay, these towns did it without that. And so right. if you happen to have a way that, okay, we have a small tax to help the the recreation center, or whatever, right. well, that's, that's great. It may right. work for your town. There's a lot of tools out
0: there you can use. And with these endowments and, you know, might be the 95K giving away in, uh, what was the town in Nebraska? Shickley, Shickley, yeah. Or your hometown, you said you, you got to- King gave City, yeah, we're just bucks. small. Yeah, we gave away 4,000 this year and that'll grow right. next year. Yeah. But you know and I know that in rural America, there's a very powerful entrepreneurial spirit. And with high speed internet, businesses can start anywhere. And these can be big businesses, they start small. But uh, seed money like that to grow businesses, to bring in jobs, I mean, there's, I love how you end the book. You talk about why not?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's like, well, all these decades, how can we, our small town is dying, whatever. You almost have to choose, don't you? How you look at it. You do. Is Are we dying or can we make this better?
1: I'd give you a good example, because this just took place in the last two weeks. Uh, a lady that I've known in a neighboring town, there were two vacant buildings, uh, there were many vacant buildings, but there were two that came up for sale. She bought them
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she said, didn't really know what I wanted to do with them. I just wanted to buy them, and this became my retirement project. Mm. And she began to renovate them, and she's already started doing some, It has some different ideas, even if it's just an event space. Sure. But what happened was, is then somebody else came to town and saw that, and they bought a building, and they started their own little woodworking shop there. And already, it's people like a were seed saying, Yes. And so, if one person told me, he said, well, instead of buying a boat for retirement, I bought a building for retirement, and I decided to, to you know, make this into something. And maybe it'll be a space where a younger person wants to rent it, or maybe I even give them free rent. And they say, I want to start my store in it. Maybe you want to give them free rent for six months to get them started. So she
0: bought a building or two and probably, gosh, probably didn't cost much at all. No. And, you know, it has to make her smile, the thought of, if I can create and foster incremental positive change for my small town, I mean, how beautiful is that?
1: It is. And for those in the ag community, we certainly have to look at our budgets. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us could say, what if I took some of this money and I wanted to buy that building, right. and maybe I have a large family, maybe that's the way I bring back a, a niece or nephew or a grandson, and maybe they, they can't, I don't have the ability for them to work production agriculture, right. but they could do a side business and they can do it in town. Our town could use a meat shop. We could use a place to sell produce. We could, but you could really right. do any, if you have the high speed internet, right? you could do
0: anything. Yeah. And uh, we t- tied back, I know early in the book, Andrew, you talked about, you know, in terms of attitude and the vision thing, There's, help maybe is not on the way. We have to do this ourselves. I mean, that can be a good thing. Talk it can that. be.
1: One gentleman told me, he said, nobody's going to come and give you rescue yes rescue you it will be up to those small towns in a sense to do that and some will rally behind that and make it happen and, and some won't i suppose that's just the way life is another person told me he said every town has its cave people and I wondered, what do they mean, the cave people? They think those are backwards. But he said, well, it's actually an acronym. He said, CAVE stands for Citizens Against Virtually Everything. <laughs> and every every town has some of those cave people. Uh, yeah, butt crowd. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so, but you just have to say, OK, that's fine. But we aren't going to listen to that crowd. We have this idea. It doesn't mean to ignore challenges. You, right. you certainly have to say, OK, this won't work for this reason. Sure. But. There are so many examples of people that, as you mentioned earlier, said, why not? We always say why, 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 but why not? Why and so not? those those communities said, that said why not began to do some amazing things.
0: Uh, one of our recent podcasts, we we did an interview with an, of a 91-year-old auctioneer. Uh, he's mm-hmm. from my hometown of Benson, Minnesota, right. Abner Jacobson. And at the end of the interview, I asked Abner, you know, everybody loved Abner, just one of those people. And I said, Abner, what's the secret to a happy, successful life? And he kind of thought about it a little bit, and then he said, He's very thick Norwegian accent, but he said, you know, Greg, you gotta look on the sunny side of life. So we all have a choice every day, right? Mm -hmm. You can be the negative and, you know, there are challenges, but don't you think sometimes out of the most challenging opportunities, what can happen, I mean, if you go for it? Yeah, uh, that's what I love about your book. You're you're presenting some success stories to give people something firm to latch on to. And again, folks, the book is the total town makeover Andrew McRae, what's the website again, Andrew?
1: So if they go to AmericanCountryside.com, which is my radio TV uh, program, just AmericanCountryside.com at the top is just a tab that says books, that's the easiest way. You can certainly go to to Amazon as well, but American Countryside has them all there in one place. Well, Andrew,
0: we'll keep listening to the American Countryside, we'll keep watching on U.S. Farm Report, and thank you for visiting, always great to catch up. Yep, likewise, thank you. U.S. Custom Harvesters
1: Incorporated is an association of professional custom harvesters serving the needs of the American farmer. The U.S. Custom Harvesters is a dues-funded nonprofit membership organization, the strength of which is in its membership primarily consists of individual harvesters such as combine, forage, hay, and cotton, as well as related businesses like equipment manufacturers. The U.S. Custom Harvesters, we harvest the crops that feed the world. Become a member today. Go to uschi.com
0: or call the National Office of the U.S. Custom Harvesters at six two zero two zero 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 one three eight one well big thank you to andrew for being my guest this week on the machinery Repeat podcast episode number 10 just love the variety of ideas and things to try there you know boil it right down uh you know what can you do to help your small town now and into the future um there's a lot of things you could do and again we thank andrew for those practical tips and advice and um Definitely check out his website, folks. Uh, Look into getting this new book, Total Town Makeover. It is a great read, Uh, a little over 100 pages, I think, Uh, chock full of great ideas. Just go to andrewmcrae.com. That's Andrew com. And also, if you have farm groups looking for a great ag speaker, Uh, I can tell you Andrew is a great, great choice there. He's got so many great stories and truths to share. So he's got speaker information right on his website. So check that out. And again, thanks to our, our sponsor, KSIH, for making this all possible. And uh, thank you for listening, folks. And until then, we will uh, see you out at the sales.